0: Let's turn together in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. In the Pew Bibles, Genesis chapter 17 is found on page 14. First book of the Bible, 17th chapter. And let me just, by way of introduction to our turning here and opening up in the middle of the book of Genesis, give a bit of a An explanation to uh, why we're doing this. And if I may just have that uh, personal privilege, um, I can tell you that from my notes, I preached this text, it was somewhat more than 20 years ago, for a baptism service of someone I do see here in this building. So it testifies to God's continued faithfulness from generation to generation. That was, you could say, a generation ago. But more important than that, this is um, in the context of what God is doing to build his church. You know, in Romans 4, verse 16, we are told that Abraham is the father of us all. We say he's the father of all believers, all who put their trust in him. So, back in Genesis chapter 12, God had called Abram out of Ur the Chaldees, and he asked him to come and follow him. Abram and his family were probably worshiping the moon at the time when he was called. God called him out of darkness into his presence. And God made glorious promises to Abraham. And uh, Genesis 12, verse 3 specifically says, I will bless all of the families of the nations of the earth through you and through your seed. That's the mission of the church. And and that blessing, as the families of the nations, some of us, are gathered here in that blessing uh, as children of Abraham. And so you understand that what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 17 comes in the context of what God has been unfolding in terms of that promise that would come through Abraham. In terms of, um, maybe you can remember, I'll just summarize very quickly, Genesis 15, if you've read that passage, you know it's, um, it's glorious in that it tells us at one point, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, verse 6. And yet Abraham still struggled, and he he said, how can I know these things? And then God asked Abraham to walk between cut-apart animals. That's a strange passage. But God was showing Abraham already in Genesis 15, we're going to cut a covenant together. And cutting a covenant means you enter into a relationship that you are so committed to each other that you're saying, like these dead animals, I would rather die than not keep my word. And if you understand what God is saying, as he walks through the dead animals and lets Abram sleep on the sidelines, that cutting apart of the dead animals, becoming a curse of the covenant, is a picture of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And then after Genesis 15, Abram is getting older and older. In Genesis 16, so this is now, I think... 11 years after his being called out, when he was 75 years, now he's 86, and he and Sarah think, we'll do it our way. And Abram has a baby with Hagar. Wasn't the way they should have done it. And now, 13 years after that, you can imagine Abram is still wondering what's up? Where are things in terms of God's promise? And how do I stand? And and just let me also say, with regard to what we've seen here in baptism, I believe that we understand that in terms of what God is doing by an understanding of what we have in Genesis chapter 17. Sometimes there are people who view infant baptism as though it were a magical ceremony, as though the water saves somebody. We don't teach that. We don't believe that. Uh, We're not to do this out of superstition. We believe that God comes and says, I make a promise to you and to your children, and you must trust me. Trust me. Genesis chapter 17. This is God's holy word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he was born in your house and he was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham as for Sarai your wife you shall not call her name Sarai but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he'd finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham, then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. I urge you to keep your Bibles open if you are able. And I'll direct your attention this morning to verse 7 as our text. And I will... Establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps you might say the word of the day is covenant. Many times we have heard that word already this morning in the course of our reading scripture, in the course of our singing, our reading of the form, and our thinking about what God is saying to us. Maybe so much so, uh, this is so familiar to us that our eyes may glaze over because we're the covenant people of God. But we need to be careful to appreciate what God is saying to us and appreciate it with a deep sense of awe. Perhaps in the way that we could read of Abraham in verse 17, falling before the Lord and laughing, laughing with a sense of wonderment. Now Abraham's laughter at this point is not the laughter of unbelief. Not the laughter of saying, this could never be, but it is the laughter of saying, this is a wonderful, amazing thing that is beyond our imagination, the blessing that God should enter into covenant with his people. Maybe if you're new to um, this church or new to the Christian religion, new perhaps to the Reformed faith and this emphasis, that emphasis on covenant may sound a little Different. Let me just say, covenant is simply the blessing of relationship. God says, I bind myself to you in covenant. We have fellowship with each other. I make promises to you. There are obligations for us. As God, at the beginning of this chapter, says, Abraham. Abram, at that point. Walk before me and be blameless. But God is going to come now to Abram. And he's going to assure him that I will be your God. Now, Abram has been walking with God. Abraham has believed God. Abram has been pointed to stars in the sky to be assured of the blessing that is promised to him. But now God is going to say, I'm going to establish that for you. It's not to say this is the first time they ever talked uh, in this way about covenant or relationship. But now God is going to firm Abraham up in this. And he's going to help him. With a sign and a seal. The sign and the seal in the Old Testament of circumcision. Which we read in Colossians 2, 11, and 12 has been replaced in the New Testament with baptism. And so, the blessing that is spoken here is simply this. I will be your God. That's, that's covenant. God saying, I will be your God. Wouldn't you all? Wouldn't all of us? Uh, love to be able to say that's what God says about me and that's the relationship that we have and maybe we wonder how that could ever be and we need to see and appreciate here from the Bible and what God declares to us of his love in Jesus Christ that blessing is found by grace it is found in Jesus and is enjoyed as covenant God is my God I will be your God. And then we appreciate, in light of what we've seen together here this morning, God says that about Christian parents. He says that about those who come to the Father through Jesus. And then he says, and to your children too. I'll be your God and your children's too. Paul and Silas could say the very same thing to. The Philippian jailer, in Acts 16, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And his whole household was baptized that day. And they rejoiced, as Acts 16, verse 34 tells us in the ESV translation, they rejoiced because he believed. I will be your God, and your children's too. Let's appreciate it how that um, comes to us and what God shows us here in Genesis chapter 17. We have these three things to consider. The covenant promise announced. Secondly, the covenant promise applied, and I would say assured. God wants to make sure Abraham has firmed up in this and is assured of this blessing. And then finally, the covenant promise appropriated. taken hold of, embraced, believed. So in the first place, the covenant promise is announced. What I want us to appreciate especially here is this is God. This is God at work. This is God's doing. This is God's grace. This is God who takes the initiative. This wasn't Abraham's idea. This wasn't our idea. This is God. And um, I could just emphasize with you the way in which if you go to verse 6 through 8, the way God makes plain, it's all God, it's all grace, is, is very obvious in the I wills that are stated there. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. I will. I will. It's God's work. It's God's grace. It wasn't Abraham's idea. And to know God, to know the blessing of knowing Him as our God, is not something we design. It's not something according to our our desires. You know, I'd like a God who will do this and that and who will leave me alone with regard to that and the other thing. No, God says, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. And Abram, I come to you. And I will establish you in the blessing of walking with me and being blameless. I will establish you in that relationship, but it's all grace. And just in, in connection with um, what we've seen here together this morning, there, there may be a sense in which we can say, and, and it would surely be right, we've, we've heard brother and sister Frigolet make promises to do all they can to teach this little girl according to what we've been taught in the Scripture. So it is a rich blessing for little covenant children by God's grace to have been placed in Christian homes, to have parents who will pray for them and uh, teach the Bible to them and challenge them and correct them. That's a rich blessing. But that's not the fundamental blessing. You see, that is a blessing because there is something that undergirds that. And it's what God says. It's who God is. I will be your God and Freya's God. That's the promise of baptism. That's the God-word focus of what we see here. I will. I will. And so we focus together on what God announces here. And we're so encouraged in the way that Abram is to be encouraged as well. Yes, Abraham, I'm going to be your God. But understand, this isn't just for you. This is for forever. This is an eternal covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. This continues from generation to generation. This is a blessing that you can be assured of, so it's for you and your descendants after you. And then as we'll see, Abram is to circumcise himself. So I could say we believe in believers' circumcision. We believe that when people come to faith in the Old Testament, they should be circumcised. When people, when people um, come to faith in the New Testament, they should be baptized. So we believe in believers' circumcision. We also believe... That the promise is for the believer and for his seed. And that promise was to be experienced and enjoyed, applied, when the little one was eight days old. So let's move on and, um, and see what God does in the second place. So he says, I'm going to be your God. And you can live in the joy of that. But because I care for you, I'm going to give you a sacrament And some of the office bearers or those who were at the office bearers conference in the past couple days can remember that God in in his condescending love gives us in a sacrament the very same thing that is proclaimed throughout the Bible, the blessing that is found through faith in Jesus Christ. But God says, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to get this. I want you to remember this the sacrament and the old covenant it was circumcision and the Passover in the new covenant it is baptism and the Lord's Supper baptism uh, sorry baptism as well but these sacraments are given as signs and seals so they're pointing us to the promise they're pointing us to everything that's promised us in the Lord Jesus Romans 4 verse 11 speaks of what happened with Abraham as a sign and a seal of the righteousness that comes by faith. Abram believed. And Abram is now to circumcise his little ones. And they are to believe. They must believe the promise that God has made. But notice the call to circumcise with regard to the little ones is to be applied at eight days old. So you understand that when Isaac will finally be born and he is to be circumcised, he will not have a clue in terms of what is happening. He may feel some pain. But he will not be there on the basis of here's what I have done, here is what I have decided, here is who I am, here is me taking my stand. Same as Freya. She had to be carried here today. She wasn't able to speak to us. But we believe, on the basis of what God has promised eternally as an everlasting covenant to Abraham, that she may have these promises. And she ought to have been baptized. Not that the water saves her, but that with the water God is saying to her, I will be your God. Now you must trust me. So again, we could just make some comparisons in terms of what um, we would know, Abraham the believer, believer's circumcision, what would happen in the Old Testament when someone came to faith in God, they would be circumcised. What would happen in the New Testament when someone like the Philippian jailer came to faith in God, he would be baptized. What would happen in terms of their being incorporated into the fellowship of God's people, Old Testament circumcised, New Testament baptized. What is the sign and the seal that points us to the reality of these promises and assures us that God means what he says in the Old Testament circumcision, in the New Testament baptism? And to whom are these promises made? In the Old Testament, to Abraham and his seed. In the New Testament, the very same thing. I referenced the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. I think uh, a key and fundamental reference is what we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. In Acts, the book of Acts, the day when Pentecost had fully come. When Peter had preached to them, this Jesus, whom you crucified... God has made both Lord and Christ. God has sat upon the throne. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's ruling over everything. So, what happened was they realized, We are finished. We are toast. They said, What must we do? Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized. For the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of the Holy Spirit, that's verse 38. For, Acts 2 verse 39, the promise is to you and to your children and to all those who are far off. You understand all that Peter was doing in Acts 2 verse 39 was quoting Genesis 17 verse 7. Same as always, nothing's changed. God has always been a magnanimous God overflowing with goodness and grace to believers and their children. And now he's saying it's going to go beyond that. It's to those who are far off. Why? Because the promise had always been to Abraham. All of the families of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And I'm even going to change your name so that you never forget that. Used to be Abram, father of a nation. And for those intervening years, they probably ribbed him. What's your name again? Abram, father of a nation. What are you? 99 years old? How many kids do you have? What a joke. God says, I'm going to call you Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. There is. An encouragement there, right? In terms of why we're here today, how we're here today from many nations. God's continued faithfulness and His grace. This blessing is experienced and enjoyed throughout the nations and among us too. And so God is saying, I want you to have a sign and a seal. So Abram. When you remember that you were circumcised, you can remember we have a covenant. You can remember I made promises to you. You can remember you have obligations to me. Now, that was a bloody, a bloody sacrament. And Abraham was to be circumcised in his reproductive organ. That's sensitive to talk about. Abram was to be circumcised with a view to the seed that would come from him. Because the promise is to Abram and to his seed. But Abram was also to be circumcised in that place where he had also fallen as a sinner with Hagar, and tried to do things his own way. So also in circumcision, God is doing something. He is cutting in. Can I cut in? Remember Genesis 15, a covenant was cut, animals were cut apart, and we said that has to point us to Jesus and his shedding of his blood. And now God says, when covenant is enjoyed, that means I'm going to cut into your life. And you cannot think about the blood of circumcision as New Testament Christians without thinking of the blood of Jesus Christ. He was the one who was cut off for us in our place on the cross. And in the Old Testament, the sign and seal of circumcision was always pointing to that. In the New Covenant, we don't shed any blood. Just water. Because Jesus has shed all the blood that ever needs to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And now we get a reminder of washing and cleansing with the water of baptism. And we thank and we praise God. This is a sign and a seal that God will always be faithful to his promise. God assures us He reminds us. So then we see in the third place the covenant promise appropriated. Meaning to say the covenant promise needs to be taken hold of. It needs to be embraced. It needs to be believed by the grace of God. You can see in the language that we've read things to be warned about. Genesis 17 verse 14 speaks of the possibility of breaking covenant with God. We break covenant with God when we say, forget about you, I will do it my own way. I will do my own thing. And as Hebrews 10 verse 26 tells us, what we do then is we trample under our feet the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified. That is a serious, serious thing. So I don't know if I address anyone here this morning who is wandering from God or living at a great distance from God. Maybe you were even baptized as Whether you were baptized as an adult or upon your profession of faith, or even baptized as an infant in a covenant family, and if you're turning your back on God and doing your own thing, we're warned you can trample under your feet the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified. Now, that's overwhelming. And, and maybe as I speak of these things, you, you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel, what can I do? There can be no hope for me. I have messed everything up. Did you hear the language that helps us to clue into what the Bible actually teaches in what, what I read from the form this morning? I like to repeat that as often as it comes to mind, if we through weakness should fall into sin, we must not despair of God's grace nor use our weakness as an excuse to keep sinning. Baptism is a sign and a seal. God is always faithful to his covenant. Come home. Come home home to fellowship with God and maybe if there are those among us here this morning who struggle with loved ones maybe an older brother maybe a child maybe a wayward child who are doing their own thing and living in danger of forsaking God's promises and trampling the blood Of the covenant under their feet. I want you to be urged. To know we have a pleading ground. In the promises of God. God you promised. God help. God go to work. God save. And grant that they may find their hope. And their encouragement. Trusting in So when we say we appropriate the promises, that means we take hold of everything that God promises in our baptism. And we say, Lord, we need you. We trust you. We cling to you. Please do not let us go. We need you. At the top of the chapter, God said to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. And we know that is the response of love to those who know God's covenant kindness. But we also know when we're held to that standard to walk before God and be blameless, we fall short. And maybe we think to ourselves, now what? What can I do? Remember The I wills of God. I will be your God. I will. Put your trust in this God who makes good and precious promises to you. Take hold of everything that he says. Take hold of the promise you need by the blood of Jesus. In the forgiveness of your sins and as parents we teach these things to our children and we say to them when they struggle you've been baptized not to say hey don't worry about it you've been baptized you're in no to say you've been baptized you should know better but you've been baptized and that means you need to believe and trust God is gracious go to him God is always faithful to his covenant. Put your trust in him. And it's it's our message to the world as well. Our message even as Paul and Silas said in Acts 16 verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But it has implications for your kids too. Again, it's not just good for them that you're going to start praying for them and teaching them the Bible. There's something deeper. There's a God who stands behind that and undergirds that by His precious promises. It's God who says, I will be your God. And your children's too. Trust Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do praise You and thank You for what you continue to reveal to us about yourself here in the Bible. You are faithful. You are kind. You are gracious. You take the initiative. You make covenant. You enter into relationship. You bind yourself to us. and We thank you for the lengths to which you have gone to ensure that we may know this blessing by the blood of the covenant, that is, by the blood of Jesus. We may have forgiveness for our sins. We may have hope for eternal life. We thank you that you make promises to our children as we seek to raise them for the fear of your name in the midst of this world. Grant that they may ever be pointed to Jesus. And grant that they may find their rest in him according to what you promise us.